uh, you know, in Central and West Africa, uh, rangers coming into contact with armed militia groups that can number, you know, between 75 and 500 people. Thanks for tuning in to episode 11 of season one, We Blue Dot, a conservation podcast. Enjoy listening. Welcome everybody, wherever you're listening from, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of We Blue Dot. It's fantastic to be joined today by Andrew Campbell, CEO of the Game Rangers Association of Africa. Andrew has a master's in environmental management and has over 20 years experience in the field of conservation. He is passionate about wildlife, wild places and the people who support them. And I'm so excited to learn more about his work today. So with that, Andrew, thank you for coming along today and welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Katie. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. So first of all, where are you joining us from today um, and how's everything been over there the last year? Yeah, so I'm I'm down in uh, in the Southern Cape in South Africa, um, on the on the coast here, uh, close to the Garden Route National Park. Um, we, yeah, we weather's changing a bit, hence the big jacket today. <laughs> um, it's starting to get a bit cold as winter approaches, but yeah, things have obviously been uh, very different for the last year and a bit. Um, so it's definitely thrown some interesting challenges at us as an organisation and at our profession as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think everyone's experiencing it in in different ways, but everyone's been affected, definitely. So before we get into chatting about your work in the Game Rangers Association, um, can you tell us a wee bit about you? Uh, Like, where did you grow up? And did you always have a passion for wildlife when you were younger? Yeah, absolutely. My family comes from, you know, we've been in South Africa for uh, probably 130, 140 years. Uh, sorry, 170, 180 years now, um, but comes from a rich, you know, history in in conservation. Uh, my great grandfather was very involved in in various conservation initiatives. So sort of always been in the blood, I guess. Grew up on a farm, uh, between a farm and, and a house in KwaZulu Natal. Um, mm-hmm. So grew up in the outdoors and visiting game reserves with the family. Um, you know, exploring different parts of Africa. And uh, always had a passion for working in the in the bush at some stage. Um, obviously, spent some time on the farm, and then uh, ended up uh, going into you know starting off in conservation on the more on the guiding and uh, interpretive experience uh, side of things and ecotourism. Mm-hmm. But then you know over the years moved more into the conservation side. Yeah, so it's in the blood. Then you you kind of grew up grew up around it. That's cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, I think as, as South Africans, we spend a lot of time outdoors. We spend you know, most of our holidays, we're out in, in, in these beautiful wild places and uh, have had luckily had the opportunity to explore some other countries in Africa as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm very much, very much in the blood. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I presume with a name like Andrew Campbell, you got some sort of Scottish heritage back there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, back in the day, I guess. Um, <laughs> somewhere but yeah no that sounds really cool and it sounds like you've had um the opportunity from a young age then to get involved in all all sorts of things and do you have any particular you know species that you like are you like working with or are you particularly passionate about or do you just like the kind of environmental side as a whole um i think you know what i guess as you grow um in this field you know you might start off you know sort of more focused on some of the sort of big iconic species um, you know, what we would term our big five species and, and, and the likes, cheetah, wild dogs, 
uh, endangered and threatened species. But you know, I guess over the years, grown to to really appreciate the smaller things. And uh, my passion, certainly when I'm out there as a as a tourist <laughs> or, or working in the bush, is just seeing the interaction between species, you know, and realizing how we as humans also fit into that environment, and that we're not foreign to it, that it's part of where we've come from. Um, so yeah, I guess yeah, I wouldn't say any favorite species. Obviously, a lot of focus, you know, in 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 the work I do is on on some of the more threatened species. Um, but um, I just love being out there experiencing the, uh, the, the, the wild of Africa, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that sounds good. And can you tell us a wee bit more about your route into, apart from your family history, um, your route into conservation? Did you, you know, you've studied obviously at university and things. So, so what was your kind of route in as a, as a young adult? Yeah, it was just, you know, I think it's important to obviously, um, you know, to entering this field to get some kind of qualifications to understand the, the basic uh, conservation and environmental principles. Uh, and, and that always serves as a good grounding. Um, and then, you know, a lot of it is learnt, learnt out in the, in the field as well, just, you know, working in different environments, working with different teams. Um, I've certainly been lucky enough to learn a lot from other people in this field that have, you know, far more experience than I do. And certainly there's learning opportunities around every corner with, with, with a vast array of people, you know. Uh, from working with field rangers who've spent you know 30 to 40 years out in in, in certain parks mm-hmm. to um, you know to experienced scientists that might have been researching very specific uh, species or, or um, you know aspects of conservation but yeah you, you the great thing in this field is you never finished um, mm-hmm. and I think you've got to you, you realize that fairly early on that um, there's just so much to to understand and to learn that uh, the, the journey doesn't start the the qualifications are just the start of it yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and as you say it's good to have them to a certain extent but it's the actual field experience and practical experience that's more important I guess yeah absolutely and sometimes what what you see out there throws some of the things you've learned upside down <laughs> but uh, yeah but it's it's always good to, to to base it on you know sound I guess sound scientific principles no, it's definitely good to have a bit of both, as you say. And the Game Rangers Association of Africa seems like a quite a big organisation to someone like me who lives in a wee place like Scotland. Are you kept very busy in your role then? Yeah, absolutely. We we serve um, you know over 1,700 members who are professional rangers operating across about 20 different African countries. Uh, they form our, our membership, and we work to support not just our members but the the ranger. Uh, community itself um, through various projects. We, we're fairly small in terms of uh, you know the, the the number of people working. It's just myself and and Louise Debrand, who's our membership uh, administrator. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so yeah, it definitely keeps us busy. There's I think a growing need in, in conservation, um, and certainly that the last year has definitely highlighted that and it just exasperated some of the uh, the challenges faced. And what's relatively a a resource scarce environment. Mm-hmm. So tell us a wee bit more about the organization then. I mean, has it been running for quite a few years, I think? Yeah, so the organization, it was founded in 1970. So we are in our 51st year uh, this year. Unfortunately, our 50th year celebrations were, were not, uh, <laughs> not as, as they should be with COVID. We're, we're planning no. some 
fantastic get-togethers and the African Ranger Congress where we're all going to celebrate, you know, the 50-year mark together mm. as rangers. But um, you know, it started off in, in South Africa in 1970 and has grown, you know, the, the, the goal of the founders was always to spread the organization and its impact across Africa, um, realizing that there was needs to, you know, support the profession and support those working in conservation. And uh, I think we've managed to do that over the years. Um, we have, as I say, you know, we, we've got members based all over Africa now, operating at different aspects uh, in conservation, you know, from field rangers who spend, you know, most of the time out in the field uh, on patrols to those working more on sort of protected area management or on this sort of strategic side of conservation in mm -hmm. conservation manage management authorities. So. Mm -hmm. Well, um, well, you covered one of my questions there was how many people work for you. So is it quite a small team of, of actual people working, but it's it's a bigger network of the rangers themselves? Sure. Yeah, it's just two of us that that work officially for the organization. Um, but we have a, you know, a, a number of committees um, and, and structures uh, where rangers themselves are involved in volunteer positions uh, just to help us with strategic direction um, and assist with um, you know, building networks and, and capacity in, in the various countries we work. So we do have a series of committees, um, but yeah, all in all, in terms of actual employees, it's just the two of us. So. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, not stereotyping, but over here, I, would, I think the people I speak to, they'll, have, they'll think of rangers, you know, as kind of anti-poaching rangers and, and in specific roles working kind of with animals. But am I right in saying they, there's a variety of roles that the rangers take on? And I guess it depends really on, on where they are, you know, in Africa, because all the countries are so different, I imagine. Absolutely. I mean, there's, if you think of it, there's, you know, over eight and a half thousand protected and conservation areas registered in Africa. Um, Obviously, some of those just exist on paper rather than actually on the ground, but it's still a huge amount of areas uh, where rangers are working and their roles are very varied across those areas. Um, and their roles, you know, even within those areas are, are, are varied. Uh, they don't just work on, on the counter poaching um, uh, aspects, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that's a that's a big misconception is that's all rangers do. Obviously, in some areas where you know the poaching threat is 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 hugely significant and and on, on the increase, they might spend a disproportional amount of time on that aspect. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, that's the reality in responding to the poaching threat in many areas. In other areas, you know, they'll be involved in diverse aspects of uh, conservation. You know, wildlife monitoring, for example, monitoring mm -hmm. rare and endangered species, uh, which includes plant life, um, obviously working in marine and terrestrial environments. Mm -hmm. Often people think of rangers just working on you know, terrestrial environments, um, but it's important to remember the guys out on, in the marine environments. And then, you know, from working with communities, community relations, uh, mitigating human wildlife conflicts, conservation management practices like game capture, game counts, um, mm. fire management, uh, sometimes setting fire, you know, because it's part of the, the, the natural process. And many of our systems here in, in Africa are driven by fire in the savannah and, and fangos yeah. areas, for example. Uh, then also fighting fire when, mm. when fires are caused for, um, you know, by, by human disturbance and things. Um, so to that, also alien plant control, um, uh, erosion control, building roads, checking fences, um, emergency response. You know, the rangers are often the first people to be called uh, 
for things like, you know, you would never find them in the job description, but if there's a car accident in a game mm -hmm. reserve, for example, um, there's not many other people to respond to that besides the rangers themselves. So uh, it is a hugely diverse role. And I think it's important to remember that when we talk about rangers, that, um, you know, they they work across many different areas and, and the context is, is different, you know, and you have to adapt the roles to the different contexts that they're operating in. Mm -hmm. And I mean, maybe you've mentioned already, but how many different countries are you working in at the moment or working with Rangers? Um, so our, our membership itself is uh, over 20 different countries. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we obviously, um, you know, look to work in as many countries as possible. And, mm -hmm. and, and we forever trying to build our networks into other countries which don't have representation for Rangers. Mm -hmm. um, so we certainly look to grow that. And I think we've, you know, the last 10 years or so, we've managed to grow certainly into West Africa quite uh, quite significantly, which has been really pleasing. Yeah. yeah. And as I say, I mean, it's not only a variety of terrain and, and habitat and stuff. It's also, you know, different different situations, I imagine, that are going on in, in the different countries. Um, so they, as you said, they work with a variety of not only animals, but plants. I mean, I think that's an important thing for some of the listeners they might not realize the kind of actual, you know, the bigger picture of the conservation world is looking after the whole habitat, I guess, as opposed to to therefore allow the species to just kind of thrive by themselves. I guess that's the aim, really, isn't it? Absolutely, and 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 that's you know the the massive danger to uh, conservation efforts is losing habitat, uh, something which is happening on a daily basis in mm. in Africa and beyond. Um, we're talking, you know, the loss of millions of hectares of habitat on a yearly basis in some areas. You look at the illegal uh, timber harvesting happening in West Africa, uh, Mozambique, places like that, um, which is having devastating effects. You know, you lose the habitat, you lose the trees, um, you, you lose the system essentially. And mm -hmm. ultimately, you know, we also, um, you know, rangers work to protect wildlife, um, habitats, uh, ecosystems and and communities that surround them. You know, we as communities surrounding um, protected and conservation areas, we also rely on those areas, you know, for ecosystem services, for clean water, clean air, um, mm. and by working to to conserve them, um, we you know there's a, a service to to people as well. Yeah, of course. Um, and I, as we were chatting about earlier on, I I first kind of learned about you guys when. I think we were raising fundraising um, in my old work for the Game Rangers Association in regards to a canine group. So you obviously have dogs as well who work alongside a lot of the rangers. So uh, talk a wee bit about that, but also what's the kind of variety of training that all the different rangers complete? Um, that's just one example, obviously, but I imagine there's a lot more. Yeah, so there's a number of specializations. I mean, canine rangers, just to talk on that one specifically, is obviously a hugely specialized field. And it's not something in general that, you know, in your basic uh, field ranger type training that you would have covered. Mm -hmm. So there would be a need to then develop a skill set regarding that. And I think, you know, the important thing is to identify the people that are suited to those positions. Um, and that I think takes us to the first key thing in training is selection and having selection criteria that uh, that rangers uh, go through uh, mm -hmm. to ensure that you have the right people being trained in the first place. Um, part of that selection is obviously, you know, if you look in roles in, in terms of, um, you know, field ranger roles, there needs to be a certain level of physical, um, physical fitness. Mm -hmm. 
um, you know, a lot of time spent outdoors uh, in remote and extreme environments. Uh, so it takes a special type of person to endure that. Uh, you need to be comfortable with, you know, sleeping outdoors, um, working in these in these harsh terrains. Um, you know, spending, you know, you can cover 20 to 30 kilometers sometimes per day on, on foot. Mm. Um, so you, you need to really be a special type of person if you're going to be working in the field. Mm. Obviously, selection criteria need to be um, adjusted and, and set specifically for, for perhaps the different roles. I mean, working with canines, for example, is, is, is something really specialized. And there are people that just are so well suited to that just through, you know, their love of animals or their, their mm. ability to interact with, with, with dogs um, that would suit that role better than others. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, canine rangers have proved exceptionally successful in, in the work that they do. Um, both in, you know, obviously a lot of focuses on the work of canines and counter poaching efforts, but you know, there's also canines, um, I was chatting to someone the other day, canines looking for certain species in terms of wildlife monitoring. So mm -hmm. being able to find, uh, I think it was the geometric tortoise down in the, uh, the West Coast, you know, using canines to be able to find those much better trackers than we ever will be. <laughs> yeah. um, so there's diverse roles for, for guys working with dogs. Uh, and, and obviously, um, you know, there's, as I say, different specialities, those guys, uh, all the, the rangers, you know, going into more the marine aspect would require a different set of skills. So training needs to be context specific mm -hmm. um, and, and developed appropriately for the context in which the rangers are going to be working. You look at the more highly volatile areas, uh, you know, in Central and West Africa, uh, rangers coming into contact with armed militia groups that can number, you know, between 75 and 500 people. Obviously, that requires a specialized skill set um, and and a paramilitary approach. Mm. Yeah, so it, it, it is very varied. And, and you know, there's, as I said, there's a constant, people think sometimes of training as a once-off event. And, and in this field, it certainly isn't. Uh, there's a huge amount of focus on on just being comfortable in your operating environment. So mm -hmm. being, you know, having the bush skills, uh, tracking uh, awareness, you know, being able to work with dangerous game, if that's the context you're operating in. Some of the other rangers work in sort of more urban environments uh, where you might be coming in contact with, um, you know, gangs, uh, for example, criminal gangs using uh, these sort of urban protected areas as hideouts or, um, you know, to mm -hmm. conduct illegal activities. Um, and some rangers are, are armed and others are not. You know, it's, I think it's often presumed that rangers are all armed, but uh, it's certainly not the case. Mm. It sounds, um, no, I can imagine it's pretty intense and you have to be a certain kind of person, I imagine, to be able to complete the role and very, very dedicated to it. Um, but it sounds as well, listening to you, that there's a lot of opportunity for personal development as well. That a lot, as you say, the training is kind of constant. So, so the, the individuals who will be working um, as rangers, it sounds like they, they have loads of opportunity to keep training, kind of keep upskilling themselves. In the, in the you know in the areas where um, where there's dedicated and, and competent leadership, um, which is a is a massive uh, thing, um, in terms of having managers and leaders that understand what rangers need and how mm -hmm. to support them. But uh, you know training should be part of a training cycle where refresher training is done. You have competent mentors uh, in the field with rangers constantly. Uh, training, developing, uh, those are the teams that are successful. Unfortunately, that's often not the case. Um, so, 
you know, it, it really is something that needs to be developed. I mean, we've worked with rangers who the last time they had any formal training was 30 years prior, um, mm -hmm. you know, an eight, an eight to 12 week basic training course. And that's not, you know, you can't expect people to operate at the level that's required if you don't invest in them. And that's certainly something that we as GRAA are passionate about is trying to, you know, install that, trying to work with leaders, trying to uh, explain the benefits of actually supporting your ground teams. I think often rangers are expected to do so much, but very little support is given to them to, to be able to achieve those, uh, those goals. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at your website and saw, um, I, I, am I right that people can, is it rangers can become a member and then you kind of can offer all sorts of different type of support. I mean, I was reading about the different support that's offered to families and, and things like that as well. So can you tell us a wee bit about all the different kind of offerings, I guess, and support you provide for the rangers? Yeah, I mean, you know, some of the things are obviously providing, um, you know, professional network for rangers to be able to um, ask questions, to be able to, uh, you know, learn from each other. There's a tendency, you know, when you're working in a protected area to work in, 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 um, in isolation sometimes, you yeah? know, just the remoteness of the job. Uh, communication is obviously difficult. Uh, the areas that rangers generally work are remote. Um, so the opportunity for shared learning is something that is hugely valuable. Often these lessons are being learned over and over again, you know, whereas, um, you know, other ranger teams or, or experienced rangers might have learned these lessons and there's no need to reinvent the wheel sometimes. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to, to build, and that's one of our, our key areas of work is building networks between rangers. Um, you know, often the, the challenges are, are very similar, even though the contexts might be different. Uh, there's someone else who's been through similar things before, whether it's, um, you know, basic, uh, you know, who who does the training related to whatever it is, you know, you might have had experience with some trainers, you might be able to share that with someone else. So building networks is really important. And then building, you know, through the networks, we can then represent the rangers voices. Um, I think often rangers voices aren't heard. Mm -hmm. So the ability of being part of a professional network is being able to make your voice heard, being able to, you know, express the rangers viewpoint on an international stage sometimes. Uh, whether it's a, you know, um, a viewpoint on a certain issue. Often decisions and conservation are made at very high levels um, by politicians and, and those in sort of strategic positions. But often the rangers aren't consulted or their voices aren't heard. And, and the amount of levels, you know, to go up from the field right up to these, you know, the high level um, positions is just, it's, it's too convoluted for, for the real issues to be addressed. And sometimes what the solutions that are, um, you know, believed at these high levels actually on the ground, the needs are much simpler. You know, things like uh, what we see is often simple needs, things like boots and uniforms and basic training um, before we can get onto the more advanced um, solutions that, that often you know, politicians will think where they think the answers may lie. And then obviously providing sort of tangible support, things like, um, we identified the need for insurance, medical evacuation, death and disability insurance for rangers. So we provide our membership network with a with a solution in terms of that. You know, part of their their joining fee is is, is being able to be part of our insurance mechanism, uh, which will pay out on you know obviously the idea is to prevent death and disability. So the medical mm -hmm. evacuation, uh, you know, it, it's crazy to think, but rangers working in these environments often don't have medical evacuation cover. Mm. Um, so that's really important. And then obviously in the event of a, of a tra tragic incident, being able to at least um, 
you know, provide some sort of support to their families. Rangers are often breadwinners for, you know, for large families. And so it's important to be able to offer their, their families some kind of support, although, you know, it's never enough. Um, the, and the other thing is, you know, offering opportunities for, for training through, we have a bursary fund, for example, where members can apply for training and we try and raise money and provide them with opportunities there. Um, so there's a, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of different uh, benefits uh, for rangers themselves and, and we hope to grow those, you know, as we grow as an organization. Mm -hmm. It's really, it sounds really amazing though. I mean, it's, it's not a nice topic, as you say, that um, the worst case scenario, um, someone loses their life, but obviously I, I can imagine that's happened quite a lot. And, but it's great to know that there's support for, provided for the families and the medical evacuation, as you say, I can imagine is pretty crucial when you're working in these remote, remote regions. Um, so I know it sounds like a lot of really good work that you guys do. Yeah, and there's, you know, there's a number of organisations that we work with as well. Um, you know, an organisation like the Thin Green Line Foundation, which is, um, you know, also provides support to, to widows and orphans through, through a fund um, and have done some fantastic work. You know, it, it's not something, um, as I say, you know, we want to work to prevent that. We want to mm -hmm. uh, work to prevent rangers losing lives. But the reality is, I mean, in Africa alone, we're losing 60 between 60 and 70 rangers a year um, through various um, you know, things happening on the ground, whether it's drownings, accidental shootings, homicides. I, I mean, this morning we learned of, of Rory Young being killed up in Burkina Faso, uh, who works with Chingeta Wildlife and has been doing some, some fantastic work supporting rangers in, in Mali, you know, saving the, the last of the, um, the Sahel uh, desert elephants. Um, so there's just these, you know, these tragic stories, uh, and 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 we hear them again and again. I think often people think of of rangers, you know, when, when they hear of rangers being killed, they presume that it's by by poaching uh, incidents or you know coming across poachers. Whereas the reality is, if we look at the figures, you know, many of these are actually in conflict with armed militia groups. I mean, the the case this morning, as I say, uh, you know, hearing about Rory's and, and you know tragic passing was, um, you know, these are not, uh, these are not poachers, these are um, militant groups operating in conservation areas and targeting those that protect them. Um, and, and this is not something which ideally should be falling on a ranger's lap to, 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 to protect these areas. You know, we look at the number of deaths in the, in the Congo, for example, uh, we're dealing with militia groups here. As I say, I mean, we, at, at, at our, one of our annual general meetings, we were fortunate enough to have some of our Congolese colleagues come and join us. And, um, you know, they talk of coming up against, you know, armed gangs of 75 to 500 militia men. Um, and they're there for, you know, for natural resource extraction. They're there for oil, illegal gold mining um, in parks like Virunga uh, and, and the surrounding areas, you know. And this is, it's a whole different level of conflict. It's not just people you know, snaring wildlife for, uh, uh, you know, to satisfy hunger. Uh, this is um, due to political instabilities, due to, um, you know, insurgencies in, in these areas, and rangers are expected to, you know, to counter that threat, which is very unfair. No, it sounds, I mean, listen to you talking about the likes of Rory there, there's no other way to put it. They're basically the real life superheroes working on the ground, I guess. Um, 
in the conservation field. I mean, I've been speaking to so many people all over the world in different conservation roles, but as you say, there's so, so many things that they face um, by the sounds of things on the ground in the different regions that you're working with. Um, yeah. And it's very admirable, the work that they all do, no matter what region they're working in or, or what they're looking after. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, it's conservation in the last five years or so has taken some criticism in terms of, you know, uh, militari- you know, green militarization and these things um, that have been talked about. Um, I think it's important to remember, you know, in, in those kind of areas that we're talking about where, you know, political instability and, and insurgencies are taking place in and around protected areas where rangers work, a, para- a paramilitary approach has to be taken. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously there's, there, there's you know, other things at play and then working alongside and with communities uh, that also need to be undertaken. But when, when rangers' lives are at risk, um, we need to be realistic about it as well. And mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of armchair conservationists you know, point fingers at, at the sort of paramilitary type approach. But unfortunately, the realities in some of these areas um, are, are harsh and, and are difficult to understand from outside. Uh, and we, we also need to be realistic about where the solutions lie. But rangers need to be expected to defend their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they, their lives are under threat and, and they need to be trained sufficiently to be able to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can imagine you guys have to therefore not only provide kind of physical support, but mental support um, to a lot of the people that you're working with, because it must be mentally incredibly challenging for a lot of them as well. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's something, you know, you think of um, the way the, you know, the, the large sort of military campaigns work where, where soldiers might, um, you know, work on the front lines for a period of time, do a tour of duty and then return home for, for a rest period. And then, you know, maybe have a follow-up tour of duty in, in a few months or six months or a year or whenever it would be. But there's a, you know, there's an appreciation of that. You can't continue to do this and work in those situations continually. Um, unfortunately for rangers, that, you know, in those type of areas that we're talking about, there's no such respite. You know, um, they work, you look at the Kruger Park uh, in terms of the, you know, the, 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 the sort of fight against the rhino poaching that's been rampant mm-hmm. there for the last 10, 12 years, is there's no break. Um, these rangers are expected to operate at that intensity uh, continually, uh, there's no um, there's no end to it. So, mental health is something that we take very seriously, and and, and we've worked with a number of organisations doing good work in that area. But it's something as as conservationists we also need to consider. Is um, you know physical health is obviously you know directly related to one's mental health as well, um, and we need to be proactive. Uh, we need to take precautions. We need to ensure that. You know, debriefings are happening, um, that rangers are being looked after, and that there are support mechanisms for that, because the reality is, is in most places, they are not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And earlier on, I mean, you were mentioning the kind of the variety of people that are that work in the role, and I was just thinking about a lot of them, some of them might have come into it as, with a passion for edge, um, conservation, but I imagine a lot of them come into it because it's a, it's a job, you know, in the local area, and if it's a remote area in particular, so, and they're, and they're supporting a family or supporting some of the community. So as part of what you guys do, do you work with the local communities and, and do you work into kind of education 
because at the end of the day, I guess you need to work with the communities that are living in and around the, the reserves and the areas that you're you're working. Yeah, I mean, ranges, you know, and protected areas won't survive without support of, of surrounding, you know, communities. And uh, that's just, that's a reality of, of conservation in Africa. So mm. there's a number of programs, you know, where the protected areas themselves work directly uh, with, with communities. Um, and I think that's an area where it's been, you know, badly lacking in many places uh, is getting local support for, for protected areas and having a, a model that, uh, allows for protected uh, for co communities surrounding protected areas to benefit from the protected areas themselves. Mm. Um, it's something that requires a lot more thought and a lot more um, action, you know, in in, in 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 the next, you know, in the short to medium to long term uh, across Africa. Um, so it's yeah, it, it you know we obviously look to support the rangers themselves, and what's often forgotten is rangers are part. You know, part of these communities living yeah. in, in areas and, and they the way we see it they're, they're ambassadors for conservation uh, they're the best equipped to tell the stories to be able to um, you know talk to, to uh, you know talk to families talk to people in the communities about the benefits of conservation and conservation areas so it's really important that they're on board um, as you say you know we there's a sort of romantic um, illusion that everyone in conservation is just in it for the passion mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately yeah we would love that to be the case but for some people it is a job and in my mind that's not a problem as long as your job is done to um to the best of your ability and done efficiently and if and you're effective in your role um i don't think we can be too romantic about it and, you know for some people their salary puts food on the table and that's okay um Mm -hmm. But, you know, we must obviously work to to keep the passionate uh, people and hopefully, you know, what we do see is those that, you know, work in the profession often become passionate about it once they have mm -hmm. been, uh, you know, sort of um, exposed to, to why it's important. Mm -hmm. And as I said, the, the kind of dedication that they have to have in some of the places, um, I can imagine you yeah, that if they don't have it to begin with, I'm sure they're very passionate about the, the work that they're doing pretty quickly. So as, I, it's really good to hear you mentioned communication between rangers and, and giving, other, giving them opportunities to speak to other people in other areas. Why do you think it's so important that we work on raising the profile of rangers? I mean, and, and teaching people about the variety of, of the different work that they do. I think, you know, there's a couple of things there. We, we run a, a project, we call it our Ranger Legacy Project, which is very much about that, you know, raising the profile of rangers and, and ultimately hoping that that leads to more support for them, whether it's, you know, through us or through other organisations. But I think it's really important to educate those outside of conservation and inside conservation about the role that rangers play. You know, that it's, as we spoke about earlier in the, in the podcast was, you know, that it's a diverse role in conservation. And the reality is, is like it or not, is that conservation efforts without people involved uh, have very little chance of success. You know, we need the people involved at the front line. You know, the, the rangers are the foundation of conservation effort. Someone needs to go out there. Someone needs to fix that fence or fix that road or remove that alien plant or follow that track. Um, and ultimately, that won't be done by a machine. That will be done by a person. Uh, you know, no machine has ever made an arrest um, that is done by a person. That's done by a ranger when it comes to environmental laws. So, you know, we need to support the people. And I think when people understand what a diverse and crucial role 
ranges play, um, the profile of them is raised and they are then more likely to support them. You know, we look at ranges as frontline frontline workers. We look at, you know, and if you look at what's happening and you know, through COVID and, and, and the fantastic work that's been done by healthcare workers, um, if you, you know, are the heroes on the front line of, of, of fighting a pandemic, um, ranges in, in their way are, are at the front lines of, of, of conservation efforts. And I think frontline workers, you know, that's, that's really where, where our respect lies is, you know, you think of firefighters, um, nurses, doctors, mm. Mm -hmm. Rangers, we should speak about them all in the same breath. Unfortunately, Rangers, when you look at the pay, the working conditions, um, it's they're really at the back of the queue there in terms of, um, and, and so that's why we need to work on raising their profile. And there was a study done um, recently that I saw where they looked at you know, the average police, you know, entry level policeman versus uh, you know, Rangers salaries, and the Rangers were getting paid less than half. Um, whereas their job, you know, in my mind is, is just as important. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's about bringing, you know, supporting the profession. And, and the first step there is, is showing, I think, you know, whoever I speak to, the, 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 when, when you talk about what rangers do and when you expose people to, to the, the amount of amazing work that they do across a diverse role of activities, uh, you know, there's no reason people believe in it. They, they, that they start supporting them, but it's just getting that message out there mm -hmm. is really important. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the support will follow. Yeah. And we talk, you know, you look at the, the goals, um, you know, protecting 30% of the planet by 2030. Uh, and one of the things we're looking at at the moment with, you know, with groups like the International Ranger Federation, well, is, well, who's going to do that? You know, mm -hmm. if we want to protect 30% of the planet by 2030, um, you know, it's 2021, we've got nine years uh, to achieve that goal. Uh, and yet still you have ranges, you know, I was at a ranger base the other day where there's, you know, there's no toilet, there's no wash facilities, uh, there's no warm water. Um, and we expect them to go out there and protect 30% of the planet. Um, you know, we really need to get behind the profession. I think it's a really important point that you made there of thinking of them as the front some of the frontline workers you're totally right um and maybe that's a way to to look at it um, going forward and hopefully people listening to this this podcast will will learn a wee bit more about them as well um you mentioned covid there i mean how has covid affected the work of of rangers across the the con continent yeah so i mean obviously in, initially it um you know there's just the operational um you know, impacts in terms of, um, you know, not being able to, to, to move around. Uh, I mean, obviously the, the main thing with COVID is, is the, the impact on, on the health of, of family members, mm -hmm. uh, community members, on rangers themselves. You know, we've lost rangers uh, to COVID itself. But yeah, I think the health, the health issues have been well publicized in terms of how it's affected rangers from a work environment is, yeah, it's, it's just made it incredibly, well, more difficult than usual um you know restrictions in terms of travel um being able to move inside and outside of the park um that they might work uh, not being able to go home you know mm. rangers work long periods away from home um but you know during lockdown restrictions they weren't allowed to in some areas go back home um mm. so that just meant that time away from family was even longer than usual you know two three four months 
can be fairly usual for rangers but that was then extended because of the fear of if rangers you know as frontline workers in those parks if they if there's a COVID outbreak amongst them it's not like you can just go and get a few more rangers and bring them into the park to do the job it's such a specialized profession that you know your if your whole team goes down to COVID or go, has to go into quarantine it can have huge you know um risks to the park and the, the activities being undertaken there it's it's not something you know, rangers don't grow on trees mm -hmm. unfortunately so um it's not like you could just go and, and, and get someone else to come and do the job so you know huge logistical issues for rangers on the ground and then you know like i guess like any other frontline workers i mean one of our members uh, reggie smith who's she works in the pilansburg national park and and she was talking to um to us the other day and, and saying, you know, for her, uh, suddenly having to get a uh, child, you know, because she wasn't able to go home because of restrictions and that, of having to get extra support in terms of looking after her kids uh, and the financial impact of that on rangers. Uh, the other thing, you know, speaking to other rangers was, you know, as breadwinners, they, they were thankfully in most countries declared as essential services. So they're allowed to keep working, mm -hmm. sometimes at reduced pay. And, and and in some areas at hugely reduced pay, but at least they had some kind of income. And what was happening is, you know, their family members were getting retrenched in other industries, uh, particularly in the tourism tourism industry. You know, they might be working at at lodges uh, and which were now empty, having no tourists. They out of work, and so more people having to rely on the ranger's salary to survive, which puts you know an undue amount of pressure uh, on them. So it's 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 been huge, you know. And mm -hmm. protected areas have really struggled. Um, tourism itself has been a big driver of income to a lot of protected areas. Um, and now we're also seeing the impact on uh, the sort of philanthropy uh, side of things as well, with you know donors under increasing pressure um, because they they you know their industries that they work in are being impacted. So the economic um, you know, I think I said in the beginning, we work in a resource scarce environment, but it's just, you know, really exasperated the, that. Um, mm. And parks have really struggled. We've, we've been involved in a couple of projects to try and assist parks, but um, it, it's really challenging. And I think, yeah, that it's not going away anytime soon in terms of what we see um, on the ground here. So, you know, the next six to 12 months is really going to be crucial of, you know, getting ranges and protected areas through this period. Mm -hmm. And I imagine or you mentioned tourism and ecotourism is probably a very important yeah, income um, in the areas where the rangers work. So that will have been having a huge impact, I imagine, as, as you say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was reading um, uh, something you know, in one of the areas in Zambia, for example. So the, the lodge, you know, the lodge itself closes down in, in, in a game management area outside of a national park. The lodge you know, goes down. Um, we haven't had tourists for a year. They then cancel the concession agreement, uh, which they have with the community resource board operating there, who employ the rangers in that in that area. Um, so you know who's going to pay those rangers now? Because mm. the community resource board now has no funds because they get you know, 80, 90 percent or more of their funds from the lodge. Um, uh, mm. they, they you know those rangers end up getting retrenched. Uh, so who's then working in that in that area? And what we've seen is a, you know, an increase in things like bushmeat poaching, um, due to financial pressures on on communities and people living around parks. Um, mm -hmm. So it just you know heightens that that problem, and 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 that's the reality of what's happening on the ground. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, well, it might be a little little help, but how can people listening learn more about GRA and how could they support your work? I mean, are we able to donate um, on the website or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we obviously rely a lot on um, on, on people supporting our work. We rely on, on, on rangers themselves supporting our work, you know, through being, being members and, and we're an organization for rangers by rangers. Um, and but yeah for the for the greater public i think you know if they head across to our website um which is gameranger.org uh, they can see you know we try and showcase a little bit more about what rangers do uh, and i think that's the first thing is understanding the the role of of rangers and conservation in africa um, and then you know sharing the story is also just as important as as actually you know, donating. There are donation links, obviously, on the website, but mm. the ability to share the stories, you know, follow, follow our social media accounts, get the stories, get Rangers' voices heard, and 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 I think you know, if we get the stories out there, the profile gets raised of Rangers. People understand the important uh, and diverse work that they do, and support will grow for them. Um, we obviously we work alongside a lot of other organisations. Uh, we 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 look to partner organisations, whether it be corporates looking to work in the space, or other NGOs that are operating and and believe in supporting rangers themselves as well. So um, there's opportunities for partnerships, you know, with us. And uh, our goal is is focused purely on the ranger uh, in conservation and and the issues that they face, and trying to increase the support to them. You know, they're the ones that deserve the the recognition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, when I when I post this out, I'll share all the social media links and the and the website. And anyway, um, we can as you say, people can learn a wee bit more about what you guys do and and share it as well. That's that's very important. So coming to the end of our time, and um, but the last thing I like to ask everybody who's involved in the podcast is kind of from all your experience to date, what advice would you give someone listening at home who's wants to work in conservation today um what kind of tips would you give them i think i mean there's a need for for as i say there's a need for good people like any profession yeah um there's a need for good people in conservation and and people that that have that interest that have the dedication that have the skills to be able to make a difference on the ground uh, my advice would be you know do your research uh, like anything uh, understand the realities I think the you know sometimes there's a romantic notion of working in conservation is about you know um, looking at sunsets and sipping gin and tonics, <laughs> which is which which is not, unfortunately not the case. Um, you know it, it's a trying it's a it's a really trying field. You know working remotely uh, in these areas, but it's it's I, I don't believe there's a more rewarding profession. You know once you once you, you yeah if you're the right person for the job. Um, it's hugely, hugely rewarding. Uh, it's it can be soul destroying as well. That's mm-hmm. the reality of it. Yeah, it, it it it's tough. It's it's harsh. But I think you know it's one of those. The risks are high, but so are the rewards. Um, uh, my my advice would be you know get a, a sound conservation uh, management um, background. Uh, you know be prepared to put in the work. And then and then get out there into these wild areas and see see what your role is. There's so many diverse. Yeah, you know, we've got members and 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 friends and and family. You know, working in such different areas in conservation from you know, really niche uh, specialities where they might be you know doing research on a particular animal to to work out how to better protect it. 
or you know working in really diverse roles and there is there, 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 I, I truly believe there's something for everyone in conservation you know whether you if some people are, are you know don't want to work with people <laughs> and and so that you know there are there are aspects of it where you know certainly in some of the things like the research where you you literally working on your own in some of these areas but yeah you know, the, the other thing is you know there's if you love working with people there's a huge amount of work that uh, involves you know working with communities working with ranger teams being able to um work in that space so i guess there, there is something for everything but uh, yeah my advice is just definitely do your research uh, and go in with a good understanding of, of what it really is like um you know speak to people in the in the industry um and and, and understand that um you know that a lot of a lot of these areas you know the, the solutions are there it's just about um you know getting support to the right areas and 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 I guess working, first of all, working at the foundations, yeah, to build mm -hmm. and, and, and building from there. Yeah, no, that's sound advice. We have run out of time, unfortunately, but it's been really interesting to, to hear a wee bit more about what the different roles of rangers and what you guys are doing to support them. So I think I speak for everyone listening um, when I say thank you for your time and thank you to all the rangers, obviously, who are, as you say, on the front line of the conservation crisis but thanks for giving us your time today it's been great to chat yeah thanks katie and thank you know these sort of things are great in terms of being able to highlight some of the work that rangers do and, and all part of the process of raising their profile and getting them more support so thanks for your support mm -hmm.